0: Unto the O Lord Do I lift up my soul unto the O Lord Do I lift up my soul? give all of you accommodations for being here on a rainy, nasty day in the middle of the largest COVID spike we've had in a very long time, so congr- kudos to all of you for showing up tonight. Uh, I do have a few announcements. Uh, I got here a little earlier than normal, and I was able to walk around and collect some of them, uh, but I'll run over those prayer requests really quick, and then I'll take those from the audience. Uh, first off, uh, Jackson and Jenny Carroll's house down in Starkville is on fire, apparently, as we speak. Uh, so keep them in your prayers, and then, you know, we'll get more information on that as we go forward. Uh, we have a number uh, that are affected uh, by COVID or COVID-like symptoms uh, in our church right now. Uh, Sue Mason, in particular, uh, called and asked for prayer. She's going to get tested, I believe, tomorrow. Uh, the Hodgins are still recovering. The Elliots have gone through about, bout. And there are some others that I know that I want, uh, that, that are out there that I don't have a name or, or attached to that. Uh, but please keep, please keep those families in your prayers and all those that are suffering uh, uh, with the virus currently. I will say as one quick tidbit, uh, this particular variant I'm actually thankful for. I know that sounds weird, uh, but the way it's affecting us, uh, it's, it's given us an immunity that the other ones haven't without hurting us as bad as the other ones have. So that may sound counterintuitive, uh, but from a scientific standpoint, uh, we've been praying for relief. Uh, this may be part of it, to be honest with you. Um, I know it sounds weird. Everybody's sick. You don't want to think of it that way. Uh, but uh, that's the way our immune systems are designed to work. So we'll see how this goes. Uh, so without that tid- little, little tidbit, uh, prayer request besides what I've already mentioned. I know this man's got a, a three year old, I saw with the big mom, the gym, And he was- They they came home and they rushed him back John Harris. John Harris is the name of the boy. John Harrison, three year old, had a heart transplant, made it home, and then had to be rushed back to Labonner to keep John Harrison uh, transplant. You have a very young tra- transplant recipient. Keep that family in your prayers and that child. We're going to be having another grandbaby within probably two weeks. It, it could be you know, next week. Another grandbaby soon for the forest. Sounds like any day now is what I'm hearing. Within two weeks, but yeah, it could be any day. Well congratulations. We'll pray that everything goes well. Yeah. Is that three? It'll be three and all three girls. All three girls and three and like in the time that y'all been here. I'm telling you, like
1: Who knew, right? Maybe we
0: will be where you came to get grandchildren. Uh awesome. Well good deal. Keep 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 that baby in your prayers as well. Yes. Mama just called said that problems and some other problems. surgery. I heard oxygen, I heard membranous snowdown. I didn't catch the name. Oh, Orbury Lentz. Orbury Lentz. Lentz? Okay. Yes. Now would you say that? Brian Roden. Transformation with his foot. Okay. Did not know about that. Anything else? All right, let's go to our God in prayer. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful for all that you have blessed us with, Lord. But more than anything, Lord, we are thankful for the ability to come before you and offer up our petitions. You have heard every name that was called tonight. You have heard every thought that was that was thought, Heavenly Father, that may not have been spoken. And we pray that you'll be with each of those families, each of those people in their various ways. Some are facing uh the loss of personal possessions some are facing various illnesses we pray that you'll be with every name that was called tonight uh, that you will help them to recover uh to return to their normal walks of life lord we pray that you will help them uh to heal and we pray lord that you will remove uh this plague of covid from our land uh lord or help us to get it to a point where with immunity that we no longer is a threat to us we pray that you will watch over us lord in everything that we do we pray that you'll guide us as we go through this study uh, tonight, Heavenly Father, that we will apply these things to our lives, and that we'll be better equipped to be soldiers in your kingdom. And it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen. <clears throat> all right, so I was looking at the calendar, which is not something I do very often. Uh, I actually have this saying, I say it all the time, I'm not a calendar person. Uh, it's a weird learning disability, I think, that's never been diagnosed, uh, but I have no concept of time. Uh, I I think that's a unique thing about me in the fact that February is two weeks away, a month away, and eight years away for me. It's all the same to me. Right now, I'm alive for today. But I noticed when I glanced at the calendar tonight, because I did have to do that, because I knew this class was getting towards the end, we have one Wednesday night left. And I was like, where did the time go? Uh, How has it been a quarter, right? Of course, I missed a few of those for, any various, for various reasons, and other people filled in. So it doesn't feel like I've taught 12 weeks, because I haven't taught 12 weeks. Uh, but with that being said, uh, this will be uh, well, wrapping up the topic we've been on tonight, or that's the plan. And then next week, we're going to get into a new topic, and we will talk about that in just a second. Uh, but I want to go over, before I mention what I think we're going to do next week, and if y'all tell me something else, we'll do something else. But if you remember when we first started this class, I gave a series of ground rules about how we can discuss things and that we will look to the Bible for the authority and that then we will have open and honest conversations. Uh, One modern moral issue that we're facing right now that is not being talked about because everyone wants to avoid the subject is actually COVID, not the virus, not that, everything else that goes along with it. Uh, If I can do that in one Wednesday night, I'm going to try. Uh, I'm not going to try to step on anyone's toes, but there are some things I think that the Christian has been faced with in the last two years that, to be candid, we need to talk about. Uh, things such as how we treat people that are in our presence versus people that don't. Uh, there's not levels of Christianity. There's not levels of membership, uh, if you will. But uh, I personally saw some of that happen uh, whenever I came, when we kind of came back. It was kind of weird. I remember when COVID ended, the air quotes, right? The first set of lockdowns ended. How things felt and how things were. And then how, how things that our government has done, will do, will continue to do, and what that means for us. Uh, when they try to impede upon our responsibilities as Christians, and they have, and they will continue to do so, and what our responses should be. Uh, that's a big topic for 40 minutes, uh, but I'm going to try it unless someone says you're absolutely not going to talk about that. Or you come up with something else you want to talk about. But I personally am sick of that subject. And that means we talked about it a lot and remember modern moral issues is something people are talking about uh, so we will talk about that unless someone else brings something else to me. Uh, what will that not be? It will not be a political discussion it will not be a discussion about um, this is wrong or this is right it 's going to be more of a consider your brother and your sister that 's where i 'm going to come to for that because I think I think we have unfortunately fallen. We have been fallen fallen, or we have been put into various camps. And then when you get put in that various camp or you put yourself in that various camp, you then feel like everyone else is an enemy. And that is not how we're to be, especially in the body of Christ. And so we should never be divided over any subject, let alone something as secular as a virus. Uh, So that's what I'm going to try to tackle in 40 minutes. It was not enough time, but we're going to do the best that we can uh, next week. Now for the topic to finish up this week. Uh, I did not intend to spend basically the second half of the class on sexual immorality. I actually intended for this to be a couple of weeks. And then as discussions happened, I realized that I needed to spend more time on this subject, partly because the class, the encouragement from the class. Uh, but at the same time, it is such a significant sin within, I think within our country, of course, but also within the church as well. I've seen it destroy many lives. And it's a subject that I think a lot of people are naturally... I don't know if the word embarrassed would be the right word, but they shun away from this particular topic, whereas, fortunately or unfortunately for all of you, it's not one that bothers me. Uh, So we have discussed it um, ad nauseum. And I know we have discussed it ad nauseum because today my wife gave me that look on the way to church. She said, what are we talking about tonight? And it was that you're wrapping it up, right? You're done, right? And I'm like, yeah, we're done after tonight. We're moving on after tonight. And so uh, that is, she's what I call my barometer. When I, have, when I have officially covered a topic, I will know that because my helpmeet will help me understand when I have sufficiently covered a topic. Uh, so uh, without, with that being said, I want to review how I think the Christians should approach the subject of sex, sexual immorality, etc. And one is actually start with the good. I think you always start with marriage. It always starts with where it was designed to be, and it was designed to be an event that was enjoyed between a husband and a wife. God designed it to be pleasurable, and God designed it with purpose. And there are multiple commands around what it's supposed to be and where it's supposed to be and who's supposed to be doing it. And then somewhere along the way, we got to where we talk really bad about marriage, and we act like people that are married never have sex. And then we're confused and amazed that people don't want to get married. And then we're confused and amazed that people aren't happy in their marriages when we ourselves never actually talk about that we are happy in our marriages. And you're like, well, I'm not happy in my marriage. Well, then fix it. That's the beauty of life, right? You have choices that you can make and choices that you cannot make. Uh, but one of these situations is we need to make sure that we understand that marriage is honorable among all. That is a direct quote from the Bible. It's something that should be we should focus on. The second thing, or the, the, the third thing, excuse me, about this is we should condemn sexual sin for what it is. And when it is present, it should be condemned. And I gave the example last week in Numbers where we saw that where Moses and the people saw sin from God's perspective. He saw sexual, they saw sexual sin in the first person, where the man actually brought the woman right there into the tent of meeting. And I said, What would happen if that happened right here? Someone brought that in and did it right here in front of us. What would be our response? And we noticed that the son of a priest picked up a spear and went and ran it through both of them while they were in the act. And so we see that, and then God's anger at that point was satisfied. So what I started doing then was I went back to 1 Corinthians 6-9, which was actually one of our lesson texts, and I started going down the list. First thing I got to was affairs, and so the first thing that we talked about or the first scenario that we talked about was what to do if you know someone's having an affair. And that instantly prompted several, several com- comments. And then I got several comments on the way out the back door. And I'm going to summarize those right now. First off, if you know someone's having an affair, you should follow the biblical pattern. And then what is the biblical pattern? Well, it's given to us very clearly. You go to the person that is in sin to try to win your brother or sister back. If that doesn't work, you take two or three more with you. If that doesn't work, it then becomes a public matter. I think in this situation that it could be easily or logically followed that that's the point that the person that the affair is being committed on the other person has a right to know I do believe it is at first the person's responsibility that is the offender needs to be saved first they're technically the one that should go to their spouse for being candid because if you're one flesh with someone and you have violated that one flesh, you have a responsibility to go back and talk about that. And then we talked through some other things. Uh, I found it interesting that we had conversations brought out that were very, there were personal examples that people that actually lived through this. And I think we don't, I think we need to do that more often because I think oftentimes when there are sins that occur, people feel as though this is, I'm the only person this has ever happened to. And in fact, that is not the case. I'm going to give you an opposite scenario that has nothing to do with sexual immorality. Um, as you know, my family had a double death, which is not a common event in, in, in humankind that we think of. Uh, as, you, as you might remember, that was my brother and my grandmother. What was unique was afterwards, you start to realize there's a lot more people out there that's affected than you may think. So no matter what it is, it's happened to someone else. And so like, you're like, no one's ever had this happen. Each other, oh wait, they did, and they did, and they did, and they did, and they did. And you're like, wow, this is awful. That people walk around, and they have this, and we forget about it as though it never even happened. Well, sin's the same way. And when sin affects us in a negative way, we shouldn't then pretend as though everything is fine. And so I thought someone shared something with me that was very powerful. They said, you know, I wish two things had happened. One, I wish I had been told because they never were, right? They found out incidentally, from what I understand. And then two, they felt as though they were treated differently within the body of Christ. That's not right. If the person is innocent, they should be treated as innocent. And we shouldn't stand for that. And so understand that I have seen those things happen in my personal life. I've seen those things. And when God says, this is where he draws the line, we should also draw the line there. And so what we're going to do is, that's the review, is I'm going to keep going through 1 Corinthians 6, 9. And so what I did was I just made a a mark of of the sexual immoralities that happened today. And then we're going to keep going down through, through 1 Corinthians 6, 9 in those areas. But where I want to start is Proverbs chapter 5. So go ahead and turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. So, just like I told you we should start off with marriage is honorable among all, and that sex is designed to be within the marriage, this is where we're going to start tonight's lesson. So, Proverbs 5, verse 18 is where we're going to start. And I'm going to share a story with you, a personal story with you, that I mean as funny or comic relief, and it may not be funny or comic comic relief to you at all, and if it's not, I'll apologize on the front end. So, how many of you, by a show of hands, have heard of the drug company, I know you never have, especially since COVID started, Pfizer? Right? Everyone's heard of Pfizer. When I was in pharmacy school, that was between basically 2000 and 2004 when I was in pharmacy school. They had a blockbuster drug come out during pharmacy school, Pfizer did. And it was a little blue diamond pill. And a lot of people are saying in their heads, as soon as I say that, you instantly know what I'm talking about. I had a tie with little blue diamonds on it that I got from a Pfizer drug rep for Viagra. Okay? had a tie. I had an entire, I actually preached on Sunday sermon with a Viagra tie on. I can't believe I'm sharing that with the church right now. But I did. This is what's interesting is they promoted that product so intensely, I actually decorated my entire first office at work with Viagra stuff. I had a mouse pad, I had a lamp, I had a picture on the wall, I had a picture of the NASCAR, and I thought it was hilarious. And I spent like all night, I spent four years collecting this stuff from all the Viagra reps that we ran into there in pharmacy school because they wanted to make sure us new pharmacy students knew about their new drug. I promise there's a story here that I'm going with this. I get my office all decked out. It's ready to go. And my manager walks in the next morning and goes, you got to take all that down. And I'm like, oh man, come on. He's like, no, 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 you don't understand. He mentioned one of the employees that we have. And he said, her dad died like a year ago of Viagra from a Viagra stroke. And I was like, oh, so yeah, it all had to come down and it's in a box somewhere, possibly in my attic. I have no idea where all this stuff is at now. Uh, the point I'm making is, is I got more education on erectile dysfunction than any pharmacy student has ever gotten on that particular subject, ever. And one of the subjects that they talked about a lot was what we call desire, sexual desire. And you're like, man, this is weird in church to be having this conversation. But this is what you need to understand. Sexual desire is a unique thing. For women, the more they actually have sex, the more they desire sex. But what's weird about women is When they quit having sex, they quit desiring it. That does not happen to men. Okay? So if there's ever a reason why God says in the Bible, you need to agree upon this before you separate, because women, when you step away, your desire just steps away too. You may not even know this. Men doesn't happen to it. It doesn't happen to us that way. All right, that's something you need to understand. But what's also unique about sexual desire is what you seek out to fulfill it is what you will continue to seek out to fulfill it. I'm going to say that again. What you seek to fulfill your sexual desire, you will continue to seek out to fulfill your sexual desire. That is a scientific fact. We actually have looked at your brains under an MRI, and we know that when you look at certain things that you desire, you will want to repeat that pattern. Now, as a Christian, that's important for you to know. Because if you do it right, you will repeat the right pattern. But if you do it wrong, you will repeat the sin behavior. Now, is that in the Bible or in medical science? Were they the first ones to ever figure this out? Let's look at Proverbs 5, verse 18. See that I told you all there was a point to that story, that long story about pharmacy school. There was a point. Proverbs 5, verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Kind of sounds like desire, right? So who is the man supposed to look for for sexual desire and fulfillment? The wife of his youth, says right here. It's the wisest man that ever lived, by the way, They wrote this. Be intoxicated always with her love. In other words, you should be drunk on your wife. Wives, how does that sound to you? And women are like, wait a minute, I don't, I don't know. I've never heard it taught that way. That's what Proverbs, that's what Solomon says in Proverbs is your sexual desire should be so focused on your wife that you are drunk on your wife. This is what I can tell you. If you do that, man, if you focus on your wife and you put all of your sexual energy into your wife you will want her more. But if you look elsewhere for sexual fulfillment, you will want something else more. Now I can prove that too. It is study of pornography. That's the next sexual immorality issue. Pornography is unique in the fact that all the events of sex are there without the person being there. The sights, the sounds, etc. Everything's there but the person. What they did was they did brain functioning tests, where they actually looked at the MRI, people that were exposed to pornography on a routine basis. They compared that to people that were addicted to crack cocaine and heroin. They lit up the same way. Now, I'm a nuclear pharmacist. My job is imaging. My job is to look at and understand pictures and how diseases work. I have seen the functional MRIs. They are the same. What does that tell you? It tells you if you give your brain pornography for sexual fulfillment, it will want more, just like a crack addict. It will light up the same way. But here's the deal. God gave us an out. Look at your spouse. Be intoxicated with your spouse, and you will be satisfied. Look elsewhere. You'll also be satisfied, and you'll be addicted. But one sends you to hell, and one sends you to heaven. Now, is that actually based on anything else, or is there more data besides just these functional MRIs Jonathan's talking about? Well, I'm going to get there, I promise, I'm going to get there. We're going to talk about pedophilia, too, because it's a topic we do not talk about in the church. At the end of the day, anything you look at for sex, regardless of what it is, that is not within the marriage bounds is sexual sin. Now, we just assume pedophilia is something that won't happen. That's ridiculous. That's sticking our head in the sands and pretending that a serious issue does not happen. Here's the deal. If you are looking at pornography and you find yourself men or women, and you're progressively looking at younger and younger and younger and younger individuals in pornography, you are trending towards pedophilia. And you will be given up to a deprived mind. How do I know that? Because God says you will. God says he will give you up to your mind. He will do it. So if you give yourself up to these things, you can commit sins that you never in a million years thought you would commit. Or you might know someone that committed sins you never in a million years thought they would commit. Now this may be a subject that makes you uncomfortable. Sin should But the point I'm trying to make is whatever you let your brain go to for sexual fulfillment, if it's not your marriage, will destroy you. Now, what am I basing that on besides functional MRI scans? Well, let's go somewhere else in the Bible. Let's go to Genesis 19. Now, this probably won't surprise many Bible students that I went here first. But I want you to look at it from a different perspective now. I want you to look at it from the data that I just told you, that we now have the ability to look into the human brain and we can actually see these changes occurring. But I want you to look at how gross this story is, how disturbing this story is. And this is about homosexuality. So we've moved from 1 Corinthians 6-9. I went through pornography. I went through quickly through pedophilia now I'm moving on to homosexuality because 6.9 specifically says men that perform homosexual acts. That's a sin, by the way. No matter what our world says, no matter what they try to teach us about equality, it is a sin. You are not born that way because God would not bo- t- create you in a way that committed you to hell. That cannot be true. Now, listen to what happens whenever you give your mind up to something. Verse 1 says, The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them... He rose to meet them, bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. What was Lot doing? What? He was protecting them. He doesn't even know these two men, by the way. These two men walk into the city and he's like, okay, you need to go. You're going to stay at my house. You're going to get up real early in the morning. You're going to get out of here. Why? Why do you want to do that? Verse four tells us, But before they lay down the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. What in a person in the city that was a man that didn't come for this? This is just blows my mind. And they called out to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. That's not the no as in I want to get to become their friends. That's the biblical no. Okay? This next image, this next scene, if you portray it in the light where their brains are playing tricks on them and will make them act like a crack addict, I want you to get that junkie in your mind, that person that you have seen, meth is real, it's a problem in Prentice County, the meth addicts, the crack addicts, I want you to get that person in your mind an addict, and then look at it from this perspective and look at how they act. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. In other words, hey, guys, don't do this. Don't do this. Behold, this is a crazy offer. This is a terrible dad. This is the entire men of the city. And this is what he's about to offer them. I have two daughters who have not known any man. In other words, I have two virgins in here. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. I don't know a single dad that feels that way about his daughter. I don't even have a daughter and that makes me mad. He basically says, I want y'all to gang rape my daughters and leave these men alone. Because Lot saw that as better than these men committing homosexual acts.